If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open them to the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter. You've come on a, a week where we spend time every year, about this time of year, talking about biblical stewardship. Um, and we talk about stewardship twice a year uh, with two different sections. So we'll have this week and next week. And then we also talk about it in the fall. And so I do always say, like, if, if, if you're brand new with us this morning, you might expect me to say, like, sorry, but I'm not sorry uh, because we've planned this. We're, we're glad that you're here. And uh, if, if you're here in the building this morning and you're saying, man, every time I come, all he ever talks about is money. We haven't seen you since September, so we're glad you're back, you know? Uh, welcome, you know? We'd like to get to know you again. Um, but I think this is an important thing for us to think about, and, and I often say it like this, um, and I just said it actually in our new members class uh, this past week. There, there, are, there are only about three things that um, are revolving issues in people's lives, particularly in their marriages, when they end up coming to see me in, the, in my office and say, Pastor, we're, we're having a little bit of conflict in our marriage. And it, it generally re revolves around one of these three topics. And, and, and it could be that uh, the, the first topic is that there's something going on with an outside influence, you know, another relationship that shouldn't be in the marriage. That's one topic. The, the second topic that often I hear people talk about is that somebody is struggling because they're, they've got an addiction issue with drugs or alcohol, and it's affecting the marriage. But the third topic, and, and, and by far probably the most prevalent, actually has to do with our finances and the way we think about money, the way we then spend money, and, and what's happening with our relationship with money. And it causes extreme marital conflict in people's lives. And so I think it's important for us to every year examine our relationship with money because the scripture talks a lot about it and, and Jesus talked a lot about it. Now, if we talk about the parables, there are around 38 parables that are, are listed in the scripture and 11 of them use money as an object of learning or they speak about our relationship to money. So that's important for us to think about when Jesus is talking to, to his disciples, of which we are, he's speaking to us a lot about our relationship to money. Now, I feel like I wanna clear the air before we get started kind of deep diving into the scripture this morning about what we're going to do the next two weeks. The first thing that we're not trying to do over the next two weeks is raise money. So this is not a financial campaign to try to get you to give more uh, so that we can have more at the church and do more things. We don't do fundraisers. I'm not a fundraiser. Uh, we, if you've been around here for a while, there's a couple of things that we, you'll notice that are kind of maybe conspicuously absent. Uh, when we send our, our kids to camp, we don't do like a bake sale to try to get them to camp. We don't raise funds like that. We expect you to give to the budget of the church, and if you give in the way that God prescribes, we don't have any money problems. I mean, it's just a very simple thing. Uh, it, it, it works that way. And so we're not trying to raise money. This is not me going, hey, give more, do more. It, it's not that at all. You're not gonna hear more. You're gonna hear the word obedient today. We're gonna talk about it in terms of obedience. And I think that's very important. The, the second thing that we're not trying to do this morning is to make this a guilt trip so that you came in this morning and you go, ooh, man, how does he know that my bank account is messed up right now? How does he know that my spouse and I are, are not on the same page about this. Well, I don't. I mean, it's, it's not that way. We had it planned on the calendar for the last couple of months. So this is not 
This is not because you told me something last week or, or it, it just doesn't work that way, you know? Or, or somebody told me something about you. I'm not reading your mail. The Holy Spirit might be, but I am not, okay? So that's important. So I don't want you to feel bad this morning. And if you leave this morning feeling bad, I've failed. That, that's not what the, the point of the scriptures is, is to try to make us feel bad. Now, there might be a tinge of conviction this morning. That is different than me trying to make you feel bad, not trying to make you have a guilt trip about it. I think the last thing that I would say to you this morning about our relationship to money is that if you leave this morning believing that I have said anything that sounds like this, give so that you can get more, I failed you. That's part of the social gospel, which we do not believe in. The prosperity gospel, I should say. I said social, I meant prosperity. It's part of the prosperity gospel, which we don't believe in. The prosperity gospel proponents speak about it like this. God wants you to be blessed. That is true. And then it gets a little funny after that because they start saying things like, in prosperity, you won't be sick. Really? I don't know. Everybody that I read about in scripture died, <laughs> right? So I don't know, except for two, right? I mean, you, you know that they were carried up to heaven. I mean, so, so the chances are you're going to die. I'm going to die. We're going to face adversity, all those things. It's just part of it. And we're not exempt from those trials in our lives. And we're going to see that today. The, the second thing that the prosperity gospel might say to us is that God wants you to only have new things and good things and to just be wealthy and you should be prosperous. Everything you touch should turn to gold as if you're Midas. And that's just not the way that it works either. In scripture, people dealt with things that were, were harrowing experiences for them. God led them into things sometimes that were very difficult. And so for us to sit back this morning and say, that the prosperity gospel teaches that you'll never be sick, you'll always have more than you need, it'll all be great. It's just not what an accurate reflection of the scripture brings us. So let's try to look at what the scripture says and let's try to avoid what it doesn't say. Now the scripture is going to say today that you will be blessed. One of the problems with that is in the American context, we only think of blessing as being financial and that's just so short-sighted. It really is. There's so much more to our lives than what we can see with material things. So let's read Matthew's gospel, chapter six, and we're gonna start with verse 24. Jesus speaking says, no one can serve two masters since he will either hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Can't do it. So Jesus is speaking to us here about the human condition, and as he speaks about the human condition, he is outlining for us something that every one of us struggles with, and that's the, the distinction of serving God above all else. Now, that shouldn't be news to us because when God created his relationship with the nation of Israel, remember he gave them something called the Ten Commandments. You can find that later today in Exodus chapter 20. And you may want to just have a, a pen and notepad today just to write some of these verses down because we won't have time to just explore all of them. But the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, begins by saying, don't have any other gods except for me. In other words, our relationship to the Lord is to be exclusive. It's not a pluralistic view of God. We, we don't get to have kind of a 
polytheistic view, so to speak, where we worship all the different gods. It's an exclusivity. We just sang about it as we sang one of my favorite songs. I believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. Now, the latter half of that verse from John 14 says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So when we talk about the exclusive nature of our relationship to God, he says there can be nothing that sets itself up higher than me or equal to me in your life. If there is, we now have a problem and it's called idolatry. And idolatry starts in our lives and Jesus is explaining this for us really well when we take secondary things and try to make them primary things. A secondary thing elevated into a primary position in your life, it loses its place of where it should be, and all of a sudden, now you have an idol set up in your life. It's idolatry. So just, just kind of for instance, how many of you believe that children are a gift from God? Raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you're struggling with your children this morning, you know? And that's okay. But the scripture does say they are a gift from God, right? They're, they're a gift from God. So when we think about it that way, that's a good thing. God gives children and, and, and those kind of blessings that come along with that, that's a blessing from the Lord. Now, it's important that we understand it's really easy for us to elevate our focus on children to God-like status. Now we've taken something that is a secondary relationship and we've made it a primary relationship and it doesn't work. We're now in an idolatrous relationship with something that was never meant to occupy our heart's affections, our mind's attention in the way that God should. And so when Jesus is speaking to the disciples, he never says that money is the root of all evil. He never says you shouldn't use money, you shouldn't have money. That's not what he ever says. But what he does say is that money and the love of money, perhaps, right, is the root of all kinds of evil. And that our relationship with money has to be right because you can't serve God and money. Now, why would I start with this verse of scripture today? It's because we're all in a tension where in our lives, secondary things are always vying to be primary things. And, and here's the reason why. You need money. I need money. We have to have it to engage in commerce and live and all those kinds of things. And so it's not like we can escape money. And so Jesus says, you constantly have to understand that you will never be able to serve God and money at the same time. So if that's true, then we have to understand something. Our relationship with money says something about us. You've heard it said this before. I don't know who said it, but this is really funny to me and I think about it all the time. You've heard it said that money talks. And this guy said one time, yeah, and mine always says bye-bye. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it does. It flies away, right? But our, our relationship to money does speak a lot about where our relationship to the Lord is. And so I wanna start with this understanding. There can't be any other God in our life except the Lord God. He is one, the one true God. And if, it, if that's true, then we have to evaluate our relationship on things and money based on how he sees it. I wanna read a couple of verses from you for you, one from the book of Psalms, one from the book of Haggai. Psalm 24 in verse one says this, the earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Now leave that up there just for a second, guys. I want y'all to just, just pour over this with me. The earth, why is that? Because God spoke it into being, it's all his, he created it. Everything that would be in the earth is also his, 
the inhabitants of the earth, it all belongs to the Lord. So who owns everything? Say it with me, God. He owns it all. God owns it all, right? Now, just so that we don't miss this, the book of Haggai, God speaks very specifically to us about this in Haggai chapter two and verse eight. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. So the money that you might think is yours, the money that is floating around in the economy, it's not ours, it's all the Lord. So the ownership principle here is different for us than the stewardship principle. And we have to understand who's the owner and who's the steward. This is the basic understanding that we have for money. As the creator, God has it all. He owns it all. And if we fail to see this and acknowledge that, then what starts to happen is we begin to see ourselves as owners, not stewards. I said for the introduction of this sermon that I wasn't trying to raise money. I am trying to build kingdom stewardship this morning. I don't want us to, to think about raising money. I want us to think about being kingdom stewards, right? So if you think about this, then that kind of helps us with this question because I get asked this from time to time. If it's all his, why does God need my money? Gotcha, because it's all his, right? It actually isn't your money. So the question that we ask oftentimes and we frame it says that we don't understand the relationship that we have to God and to things because we see ourselves as owners, but God has declared he's the owner. Psalm 24, Haggai 2, he says, it's all mine, none of it's yours, it's mine. Now, there's the difference, isn't there, between an owner and a steward. And I, I've used this for you every time we talk about this. And the longer that you're at Judson Baptist Church, Portions of this message will start to sound very familiar, I hope, and maybe one day you'll be able to get up here and preach it, and I'll be able to sit back there. That'd be great, right? But the difference between an owner and a steward is an owner clutches things tightly. Stewards hold a loose grasp because they know that things are coming into their hands and then out of their hands because they're in a management position. I probably understand this as well as any of you could because my entire life and ministry in my vocational call to serve this church is to be a steward of the resources of this church that God has. I don't own them. I don't always get to direct them the way that I think should be fit. I mean, there's a, a group of us that do that, but we're managers of these things. We're not owners of this. This isn't my house. I have a master key to get in the place but as I found out the other day, my key doesn't even get me in everywhere around here, you know? I'm just a manager here. I'm, I'm a steward here for the time being. One day, somebody else is gonna have that office. They're gonna have those keys. Maybe they'll get the full master key when they come. I don't know, you know, and be able to do these things. But, but the issue in our lives is one of stewardship. Things are passing through our hands and we've been entrusted with them. That's a very different thing than being an owner who believes that they have the ability to direct them whatever, whatever way they want to. And maybe one way we could think about it is like this. Uh, if you have a Windows uh, PC at home or you have a MacBook or something like that, they come with an operating system on them. Windows has, is a Windows operating system, a PC there, and, and MacBook has an OS operating system. They change and, and they call it different things all the time, normally with a picture of something really pretty for you to see there. That is an end user agreement you have to sign. I'm going to use this in the confines of how the developer wanted me to use it. I don't own it, 
I buy into it and I get to use it. That's different than like an open source type of operating system where the code is presented out there and it's just given to you and you now direct however you want to do it. And a lot of us have a relationship with money where we think it's open source. God lets it drop in my lap and I get to do whatever I want to with it and I really don't have to do anything. As long as I give a nod to God, then I'm good. Now, I just want to dispel this for just a second. If we believe that biblical stewardship comes to us and the lesson is learned from a country song, then we believe we've really done something if we put a little extra money in the plate this week. But that's not biblical stewardship. That's a totally wrong attitude. That's patting myself on the back because I really blessed God this week. I gave him a little extra, like a tip, you know? Hey, God, thanks. Here's a 20 spot. You're doing great. Appreciate you. Thanks for being the, the concierge or the maitre d' of my life. Biblical stewardship is the exact opposite of that. Biblical stewardship understands that none of these things are mine. They're all the Lord's, and I just have them in trust to do as he sees fit. So, all right, we've got it now. It's all God's. How do we approach how we are to give in a basic stewardship model? Make a left turn in your Bible. You may have to go 10 or so pages back to the left to the book of Malachi. Sometimes people incorrectly call Malachi Malachi, but let's get that right today. It's Malachi, okay? Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the scripture. It's one of the, the earliest memorized verses of my life. I love it. I've lived by it. I want you to live by it. I want you to love this verse as much as I love this verse. I absolutely love this verse. Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing uh, for you without measure. That's an amazing statement right there. Keep reading in verse 11. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you will not ruin it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit says the lord of armies god lays it out very clear on what's to be done he says bring the tithe into my house what is a tithe a tithe is 10% now this is very important that we understand that the, the word just means tenth so we can't start by negotiating with God uh, a, a lower number uh, of offering. You know, if, if you say like, I tithe 5%, no. You can't 5%, 10%. It doesn't work that way. Even for someone who's as challenged in math as I am, it doesn't work that way, right? One of my favorite things that happened is when we were planting our church plant a number of years ago, my dad pastors that church. I was just out there this past week. They're trying to get ready to open here in the spring of the year. And we were looking at the building and how, how beautiful it is and how it's coming along. And, and I kind of was thinking about this sermon. And I remembered that I was standing down here at the front with my dad one Sunday. And we were talking about the church plant with some people. And uh, some folks were saying, you know, Brother Gene, we just, we just don't know what, what we should do. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, if this helps you, we'll only require 8% tithing for the first year, you know? Does that get you over here with us? You know, and we all had a big laugh about it, right? You can't tithe 8%. Tithe 
10% is the biblical standard for our lives. We didn't make it up, it's not my standard, it's God's standard for us because it means tithe. Now why was God addressing this with the people? Why in the last book of the Old Testament would he take time to address this thing? Well, we see it actually because the people of God were actually shorting the Lord in what they owed him in their tithe. Look back at verse nine, and I want you to see this. He says, you are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. That's a strong word to say. You know, if you're playing a board game with somebody or whatnot, and they call you a cheater when you were growing up, those were fighting words, weren't they? Don't call me a cheater. God tells the people, you're robbing me of something that is rightfully mine because I have told you that the 10th is mine. So if God owns it all, here's what happens. He entrusts into our care some of his world, some of his things, some material things for us to use. And then he says, but a 10th of that, you don't get to keep. This is not an open source thing where I just dump it to you and you're the determining factor of what you should give or how you should live with these things. It doesn't work that way. He says, a 10th of it is given back to me. And what we see in verse nine is the people of God weren't doing that and therefore they were living under something that absolutely ought to make every one of us cringe. Did you see it? Yet you are suffering under a curse. Why? Because you're not blessable. You're not blessable. You're stealing from me. You're a thief. That's what God's saying to his people. You're stealing from me what is rightfully mine. And when we think about that, we go, wait, that is some strong language. I'm glad I didn't make it up. It is strong language. God says, I give it all to you, entrust you with it, and in faith, you're going to live off of 90% and 10% you're going to give back to me because I want you to trust me. They were living under God's judgment and not his blessing. Now, I know what you might say. You might say, but wait, pastor, this is Old Testament and we're not under the law anymore, correct? Absolutely correct. Praise be to God. Aren't you grateful that your justification has nothing to do with you keeping the law? Now, so when we talk about not being under the law, it doesn't mean that the moral law just went away. I mean, is there parts of the 10 commandments you don't have to live under anymore? Is it okay to have adultery now because we're not under the law? No. It just means we're not justified by the law. We're justified by his grace given freely to us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we're saved. It's not by being a good tither. So if you're not saved this morning and you're like, ooh, I'm gonna start that tithing so God will really love me. No, he already loves you. He sent Jesus to die in your place. That's not gonna help get that right. Tithing comes from a heart's obedience after a relationship with Christ. There's where it starts, right? But I want you to notice something about this. If you go back to the Old Testament, I'll give you some verses you can look at later. But the, the law did codify for us the tithe. Deuteronomy 14.22, it's clearly stated there. But tithing predates and postdates the law so that there's no confusion about it. In fact, we go back, God has always prescribed what he wanted in offering. Remember, we've talked about this. God is the initiator of the relationship and we're the responders. God initiates by sending Jesus towards us. We respond in faith. God initiates. He invites us into relationship. We don't get to, to draw up the deal. We don't get to negotiate the terms. The terms are set for us. 
The deal has been made in Christ for us, and our response to that determines everything. God told Abel and Cain to bring an offering. Cain's was rejected, Abel's was received. Why? Because it was the offering God had prescribed. But then we see that Abraham tithed, Jacob tithed. Proverbs 3.9, one of the wisdom literature books, tells us that it's important for us to bring the first fruits into the house so that we have everything we need and then some. That's important for us to see. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus commended tithing. So it predates the law, postdates the law. It's in the wisdom literature. We can't get around it. Tithing is important for us to understand as a pathway to blessing because obedience is the door that opens blessing. That's how it works. Obedience is the door to blessing. God doesn't bless us so that we'll then obey him. It doesn't work that way. You can't, you can't do it that way. Blessing is given to you out of obedience. And so that's important that we see that. And I think that's, that's what Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 and Malachi 3 verse 10 and 11 all speak to us. There's a conditional aspect to these things. When we honor the Lord with our first fruits, we're blessed. When we honor the Lord with the tithe, we're blessed. Now, when we talk about blessing, we talk about our relationship to money, there's a couple of things that I, I wanna just clear up with that conditional blessing. Does that mean that you're going to be a multi-gazillionaire? I doubt it. But what it does mean and I've seen it over and over again in my life, and I can testify to this today, and I've seen it in the lives of people who are faithful to trust the Lord in these things. When you obey God in first fruits, you'll have what you need and a little bit left over. That's how it works. You'll have what you need and a little bit left over. That's the blessing. The cup runneth over. It doesn't say that it fills up vat after vat after vat after vat of things, but it does say the cup runneth over. That's important. So, so we'll talk next week about what to do with that little bit that runneth over. You know I mean? How we relate to that becomes very important. When we tithe, God promises to do several things. One is that there will be a blessing without measure. In other words, he said, you won't be able to keep up with all the ways that I bless you. I'm gonna blow you away with all the ways that I bless you. You'll be prosperous. By the way, is it wrong to pray for prosperity? It's not. You should pray for prosperity. This isn't part of the sermon, but this is good. In Psalm number one in verse three, the person who delights in the Lord is like a tree planted beside flowing waters that bears its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. Well, why wouldn't I pray that God would prosper me? I should pray that God prospers. I hope you do. I hope that you pray God prospers you, but that's not just your bank account getting fat. That's prospering your ministry plans. It's prospering your evangelism, prospering your discipleship, prospering you serving the Lord overseas in one of our go opportunities as we get the opportunity to grow and go this year. I mean, there's so many opportunities for us to see God move and bless us in our lives. And it says we won't even be able to keep up with it. But it also says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that your crops don't fail. I think that's an important piece that we need to understand. A lot of times we're laboring and laboring and laboring and laboring and it just feels like we're always behind. Is it because we never started with obedience? 
is it, could it be that the Lord is, is frustrating our plans or allowing circumstances to frustrate our plans because we're not living in a blessed position in our lives because we're not obedient? If we look across the Christian world today, two point something percent of Christians in America tithe. Just by comparison, that number during the Great Depression was three point something percent. So we're living maybe in the most prosperous time in the world and in the worst time in our nation's history, we tithed more, gave more. Three point something percent of Christians were tithing. Today it's two point something. Why is that? Well, I think it goes back to something that we need to understand. And I wanna give you five things this morning that are applicable for our lives. Number one, if God doesn't need my money, then why do we tithe? It's a test of faith. It's always a test of faith. And God says, it's a test of faith for you, but it's also a chance for you to test him. Now, in scripture, we're told not to test the Lord our God, but God says, you may test me in this, try me in this. See if I'm as good as my word when it comes to tithing, that if you do what I say, I will bless your socks off. Now, I was taught to tithe at a young age, and I really have tried to obey the Lord in my life uh, in this area because I, I've just had it ingrained in me. And, and I would encourage every parent and grandparent in the room to start your children young in obedience in this. Because if you start them young in obedience, there's so much less of a hurdle to overcome later. You know, if, if you just understand that every dollar along the way, 10% belongs to the Lord, that's a lot different than trying to figure that out when you're in your 50s, isn't it? Right? It's just a different mindset. But, but if you understand that, you, you begin to understand it's a test of faith. Because God doesn't say, hey, tithe and you'll never have any test of faith. I can think of three in particular in my life that have been tests of faith. Two of them involved children. When we brought our daughter home from the hospital, I will never forget just having to get the reminder from the Lord that this child wasn't mine, that he was responsible for the child. He was gonna provide the needs for the child. And we had some, some little things that kept Sarah Kate in, in, in the hospital a little longer than, than maybe a, a normal birth would have been. You know, she was born a little early and those kinds of things. And, and we brought her home uh, after a week of being in the hospital. And I was so excited to go out to the mail that day and walked out there and the IRS had sent me a notice telling me that my accountant and I had miscalculated my uh, taxes and that I owed them $1,000 with interest for every minute that I wasn't paying it. You know, you know how it goes. And I was like, well, thank you, Lord, for this blessing in my life. Wow. And talked to my accountant and he was like, well, did you do this? And I said, I did what you said here. And he was like, oh man, we miscommunicated. Well, okay, so I really do owe the money? Yeah, you owe it in interest. I'd pay it today. Okay, that's a test of faith. God, we don't have the money to, to do all these things the way that we feel like we should. Are, are we gonna be able to do it? Trust me, keep giving, keep trusting. And he did. It happened again when my son came home, not with the IRS, but with another issue in our family. And we just began to see over and over again how God was going to provide. But I can't talk about tithing to you without telling the story of my good friend, Paul. I was a young pastor in Virginia. I tell this every time I talk about tithing because I think it's so important. I got up with a lot of gusto, really railed on the people about tithing and 
I came just short of offering a money back guarantee. I don't give money back guarantees for what God says he guarantees. You don't need me to guarantee it. But I did say, if you're on the fence about tithing, why don't you step out of the boat and trust the Lord for a minute? Because, and this is something that just fascinates me, is that all of us in the room will claim the name of Christ and say, our eternity is secure in Christ. I trust someone I've never met personally. Have you laid eyes on him? No, you haven't. You've read about him and met him through the pages of scripture, right? But it's not like you had a conversation with him and you weren't at the cross with him. You haven't seen the empty tomb perhaps where, where he was raised, but you'll, you'll place your faith for eternity in that, but you won't trust God for tithing. I mean, the, the ridiculousness of that never fails to astound me, if you think about it. I'll trust you with my eternity, but not with my present circumstances in 10%. It's crazy. So I'm really railing about this, and I said, if, if you go out and tithe and you're short, you come see me. About a month later, this fellow came and he did see me. And he said, Pastor, I tithe. You said if we were short to come see you. And I thought, I remember that. This is about to get interesting. And he said, you know, at the end of the month, I was a couple hundred short on my bills. And I was about to come see you and tell you that. But today, there was a guy that came by my place of business. And he said, hey, could I park my truck out here? I want to sell it. And uh, could you help me maybe just let it be out there? And he said, sure, you can park your truck out here. That'd be fine. And the guy said to him, uh, hey, I want $500 for this truck. And anything over top of that you get, you keep. How about that? Okay, great. I don't know if it was maybe a half hour, an hour later or so. My friend Paul was inside his place of business and this guy walked up and said, hey, are you selling that truck out there? And he said, yeah, I'm selling it for so-and-so. It's his truck and whatever. And, and the guy said, well, well, how much do you want for it? My friend Paul said, he said, well, it's, fi it's uh, fi $700. $700 is what it is. And that was the exact amount of money that he needed and God provided it's a test of faith. You're not gonna make it through your life without a test of faith. And I think this is important for us. You know, one of all of our favorite passages of scriptures is Hebrew 11. Go read Hebrews 11. What were they constantly having to deal with? It was the test of faith. Your, your faith doesn't grow when you hold everything tight and you don't have to worry about anything and God never stretches you. No, the growing of our faith is when God confronts us with something and says, you're going to have to trust me. So why does God ask us to tithe? It's a test of faith. Secondly, should we tithe on the gross or the net of what we earn? This is always an interesting thing. And, and I wanna just, if I could, maybe give you a simplistic illustration to show you that this too is a little bit of a, kind of a silly question. If we were talking about $100 that you had made, and the government was going to tax you, let's say 25%. And so you're gonna say, well, I'm gonna hold out that $25 from my tithe money, so I'm only gonna tithe on $75, not the 25. What did you save? $2.50. Is it really that desperate? I mean, is it really that? I mean, so God says bring the first fruits. First fruits happen before the government or, or your retirement fund or whatever it is gets their hands on it, right? I mean, that, that's how a first fruits giving works. 
So give of your first fruits. Don't try to shelter money from your tithe. I mean, that, that, that's kind of approaching it, kind of half-hearted, isn't it? So why do we give? It's a test of faith. Gross or net, absolutely tithe on the gross. Third, can I tithe to other organizations or can I, can I count my Christian school tuition I'm paying for my kids as tithe? Or can I give it to a, why are, you, why are y'all laughing? Why is that funny? Do you do that? that or should I give it to another charity that I want to? The answer is no. Bring the first fruits into whose house? My house. Why, why does God say to bring it to our house? Because we're not directing it. We're not controlling it. We can't give to a Christian school and call that a tithe. You ought to give to a Christian school. That's a great thing. There's nothing wrong with that. You ought to give to charities. You ought to support things like that. But a tithe is set apart for the work of the Lord. Fourth, what does the tithe go to at Judson? It goes to the operations of the church. The lights are turned on today because you tithe. The, the salaries of the staff and the pastors and everyone that works here are, are paid because you tithe. Uh, the ability that we have to have uh, youth ministry events and, and basketball events and all these kind of ministry opportunities that we do, things like our, our uh, Embrace Grace Ministries and our New Life Initiatives, that all comes because you're tithing to that. It doesn't work if you don't give. But if you give... It'd be amazing. You know, I mean, just, we laugh because you know I joke about like how the fact that we have, I said last week, we have like $3.3 million in debt, you know. And uh, I mean, just kind of being honest, like I, 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 I'm kind of halfway joking, but, but maybe I'm a little serious. If you pay it all off today, I will name the building after you. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll get that done. But, but can I be very serious with you? Like, if we tithed, we wouldn't even have to talk about that building debt. We wouldn't need a fundraiser. Our greatest concern would be, how are we going to steward all of this so that it's immediately poured back into the kingdom? That's what happens in Global Focus every year. You guys always give more than we spend to Global Focus, and we're always left going, okay, how do we get these dollars back into ministry? Because we, we don't believe that, that the dollars that are given to ministry sh- should sit in a slush fund over here. They're to be released, right? I mean, that, that, that's where the money should go. And so I, I, just, I just challenge you with that, is that all of the issues that we have, they, they all arise from the fact that if we're obedient, we don't have any of the issues, and it's our disobedience that keeps us kind of on the edge of things. And guess what? God's still faithful, and he's providing. He's blessing the people that are tithing, but it's important. Finally, where do I start if I've not been tithing? Should I start at 5%? No, because then you're only halfway obedient. You should start at 10%. Well, what do I do if this is the first time I'm hearing this or it's really the first time that I'm trying to bring my life back into conformity? Do I owe back tithes? Yes, just kidding. You don't. Now, every year, David Cannon, our business administrator, tries me to get to change that and say, yes, people owe back tithes, but you don't. What did the Lord say when he confronted people in sin? Go and what? Sin no more. Guys, it's an obedience issue of our hearts. What's your money saying about you? Who are you serving? I'm gonna ask you to do something. Would you close your eyes and 
Daniel's going to come in here and he's just going to pray softly. Play softly. I'm going to pray. But I want to finish today by reading something for you. And I want every head bowed and every eye closed as I do this. Father, our relationship with money is its such a struggle because sometimes we're on top of the world, Lord, and it feels like we have all that we need and it couldn't be better. And sometimes, Lord, we walk in here and we just feel like we're struggling. And yet, God, you are faithful. God, we thank you for that. And Father, I pray for the person today that is just outside of your will. And they're not, they're not willing to be in the center of your will yet. Lord, would you conform their hearts to yours? God, I pray that their faith would arise this morning. And that they would really trust you. God, some of us are in the test of faith right now. No doubt, as we walked in the room, it's a test to see if we're going to be able to tithe and, and that your word is going to be true. But God, I, I pray that you would just help us to live a life of faith that's growing and Lord's expanding. Father, rebuke the devourer in those lives of the people who are obedient. Bless them, Lord, that they prosper with everything their hands find to do. God, may your word be made true in their lives because you tell us to test you. And God, I pray for this church that we would be a living testimony to the lost world by how we obediently give, not how we obediently hoard or how obediently we spend our money on our stuff that we want to do. But God, that we would be obedient to give and that God, through the resources that are already yours, we acknowledge you would entrust us to do more. More for the kingdom, more for this city, more for this state. God, so that the world would see the silver and gold, it really is yours. Lord, it's got to start with us. Help us to see that. Father, if our relationship with money is out of bounds, forgive us. We ask this. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe the wildflowers of the field, how they grow. They don't labor or spin thread. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You love little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. 
each day has enough trouble of its own. May that be true over your life today in my life. God, make it so. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.